Striving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. Welcome to episode four of our new leaders podcast with John Osborne. This week, we're going to talk all about conversation as currency. And this is my favorite episode, I think, of the series. So I hope you enjoy. So do you want to just do a little bit of introduction? What do we mean when we start talking about conversation as currency? When we talk about leadership, there's a question that immediately appears, right? Which is, what are we talking about when we talk about leadership? And there are hundreds of thousands of books about leadership. And yet there's no commonly agreed upon definition of that. So when we think about all of the things that fall into the field of leadership and leadership development, you know, we see things like mindfulness, we see things like emotional intelligence, strengths-based profiles, all these kind of things. But none of those are actually what leadership is. They're all tools which help us develop leadership. If you think about some of the greatest moments of leadership that have happened throughout history, there are moments where somebody stood up and they said something which was significant. And so if we boil everything down, what do we come to? We come to that leaders have conversations that change things and that leadership is a conversational activity. And that's what we're talking about. I love that as a summary. So when we're saying for leaders, action happens in conversations, how do we start as a leader, start to, how do we embody that? Where do we get started? How do we improve our conversation skills, right? Because I guess with conversation skills, everyone thinks they know what they're doing, right? We've all talked, we've all had conversations, we're pretty good at it. But how does that then start to change as a leader and how do I work on that? Let's start with one frame which might be useful, Laura, for some of your listeners, right? So many people got jobs in the first place because they were graduates, right? And they were graduates because they trained in something specific, It might have been engineering, it might have been architecture, medicine, marketing. But whatever they trained in, they became good at certain types of conversations. And if they weren't good at those conversations, they wouldn't have got the job. So if you're an engineer, your conversations might talk about um, the structural loading of steel beams. I don't know. And if you're a coder, then you talk about something that I don't really understand the language for. But the point is that all of these conversations are technical conversations the thing about any technical discipline is that it gives us a few things that we know will be true. And one of them is that things can be known. We can predict what's going to happen. And another one is that there are certain elements which we can control. And so these technical conversations that we get very good at are often the things that lead people to being promoted and to then leading other people. But the challenge is that the technical conversation is no longer relevant because most things with people can't be known. And the illusion of control is very prevalent and very unhelpful. This comes out in language all the time. So we hear people saying things like, I told so-and-so to do something and they just didn't do it. Or they say things like, we just can't get employees to engage with the new program we've built, even though it's fantastic. And we listen, we ask them what they wanted and we built it and we just can't get them. And of course, you can't get anyone to do anything. And anyone who has kids who's listening will, will know that well. But you can't get anyone to do anything. It's so true. I think it goes back to stuff we've said before. Like, it's so difficult to change your own behavior. Like, you can't think that you can change somebody else's behavior. Okay, so going back to kind of leadership conversations, what if you had to pick out the the top three things, or I'm making up a number, of how we start forming leadership conversations? Like, 
what are the main elements we need to start thinking about differently when it's a leadership conversation versus a technical skills conversation? Yeah, fantastic. Let's talk about three primary conversations that leaders have. And they are conversations for relationship, conversations about emotions or that involve an emotional context, and conversations that are about interaction. So relationship, emotions, and interaction. They are three types of conversations that most people new to leadership don't know how to have. And again, the response to these is often, well, we don't talk about feelings in the workplace, or this isn't my partner, so we're not talking about relationship. But the context in which everything happens is relational. It has an emotional flavor to it. And interaction is absolutely crucial, the the quality and the types of interactions that we have. And anything that goes wrong, one or more of those three things will be missing. We have a nice word for it. We, We might call it an underperforming team. And so when we, when we look at what's actually happening with that team, we might walk in and see that some people like one another and other people don't. And there are conversations that are behind closed doors. And so what's going on there? There's some kind of breakdown in relationship. Or maybe the team actually kind of, they kind of do their jobs, but they always turn up in, in just this, they don't really know why they're there and they're not sure what the point is anymore. And that's an example of an emotion, right? Their emotion is they're kind of resigned. They, they can't see the point. Or the interactions one could be that most of the time the team works really well, but when they're under pressure, there's this tendency that people have to just hold on to things and then not ask for help until it's way too late. And then suddenly everything's turned into this enormous mess. And again, it's a breakdown in interactions. So they're the three types of conversations that leaders can start paying attention to and see how the conversations they have affect and influence those three areas. With those three areas, and I think that breakdown's great, is there different conversational skills you need for each to help navigate them? So you say, yeah, I've identified that's an emotional conversation. Is there then a different way that I would tackle that conversation compared to another type? I think it is helpful in when we think about learning here to just zoom out a minute and talk about actually what is learning. I think this is such a blind spot for so many people due to our technical training that we actually need to zoom out again and go, oh, how do we even learn this stuff in the first place? How do we learn anything? And generally learning involves, the first thing is you've got to make someone aware of something. So if you're new to playing golf, then you've got to know how to arrange your hands on the golf club. And until someone gives you that awareness that there is a particular hold, then you can't go much further, right? Once you've developed the awareness, then you have a choice. And the choice goes something like, I didn't hit that shot very well. Oh, was it something to do with my grip? Oh, it was. How do I change that? Right. So that's there's awareness and then there's choice. But then after that, of course, there's practice. And practice is what takes you from knowing about something to being able to do something. And that's where basic competence starts to emerge. Mastery, of course, doesn't happen until you've done that many times in many different contexts. And you've had coaches and educators and mentors and all sorts of things which help you build out a much fuller understanding of the topic. So if we bring that model back to learning about conversations, the first thing you need to do if you're having a conversation where there are emotions which you're not sure how to work with is to develop an understanding of what an emotion is, what its purpose is, and how you work with it. And we don't need to be emotional about emotions. Uh, they're a fact of our being and animals of course have emotions as well as humans do and they're a key part of our survival 
but having some awareness of basic emotional understanding is what helps us then navigate those conversations. And that's exactly the same as relationships and interactions. That's a great breakdown. I also like we don't need to get emotional about emotions. I'm going to try and remember that one. Next time the dog's winding me up, I'm like, we don't need to get emotional about her emotions. <laughs> um, we can talk a bit more about emotions if that would be helpful. I just think yeah. it was a good summary. The one thing I wanted to go into just on that, and maybe we'll come back to emotions, was just around the fact that it's like this lifelong skill and building up that mastery, right? Because I think, again, like you're saying about the whole learning and how do we learn and how do we progress along that journey? Because you're right, like it's like most things going back to it, you master a skill and then it's kind of like, what's the next thing? So you've got to master these conversation skills. So in terms of that, how do you go about mastering conversation skills? Is it around feedback and practice or is there more to it? Yeah. Again, we're looking at what learning is, isn't it? Aren't we here? And we're looking at how it happens. So I always say that the art of leadership as conversation is a performance art. So it is embodied. Conversations are embodied. What we're not trying to do here is learn our lines. What we are trying to do here is learn how our body needs to respond when the heat is on, when there is conflict, when there's anger or frustration or someone gets triggered. And, of course, that happens through practice, through embodiment, through awareness of ourselves, and through practicing with others. And then just like playing golf, it's the regular conversation with someone who can go, oh, did you notice how you're holding that that way and how the ball's going off to the right as a result? And so it's the the combination of feedback and practice. But it really does start with having a clear understanding of these building blocks, the elements, Lorraine. I would really encourage your listeners to see themselves as beginners here. You know, in the same way, if you're new to leadership, in the same way that you were new when you first went to uni, see yourself as a beginner. Because the irony of mastery is that you can only get there if you remain a beginner. And some of the most experienced people, Bob Darnan, one of my mentors, has been doing this stuff for 35 years. He says, I'm learning more now than I was at the beginning. And he still sees himself as a beginner. There's so much importance around that whole beginner's mindset and that growth mindset and consistently just assuming that there's so much you don't know and you can learn something from everything. So true. The other thing I really wanted to dig into in conversations, because it's something that you and I have talked about quite a lot, is just listening. And I think listening is almost one of those skills that everyone just assumes that they're doing because they're having a conversation. And that's very rarely the case. So I kind of wanted to just get you to talk a little bit about active listening and then maybe dive into that if we can. Yeah, totally. Again, let's go back to many of our origins in listening and language probably come from primary school or kindergarten, where we first of all learn to write different letters. And then we learn to basically speak and listen to the words. And that's kind of a functional view of language and conversation. It's totally essential and you can't do anything without it. But I feel that that's where many people's view of listening actually stops. It's kind of like, well, I said something and someone heard something. So therefore communication happened. And what we know is that whenever we're listening to someone, we listen through the way that we see the world. We listen through the attention that we're giving the conversation at that moment. And we listen to our own priorities which is why poetry is something that interests people because you can read the same poem to a group of 200 people and they'll all take different things away. So I think it's a good place to start to recognise that listening is a kind of a filter and that the way that we listen is dependent on what we're paying attention to. And of course, if there are blind spots in our listening, which for all of us there are because we're human and we're finite, then it really pays to start learning what those blind spots are so we see how that affects the way that we, we listen to people. 
how do we find out what those brain spots are? Again, does that go back to the like feedback and asking people what's going on or how else can we start kind of working out where our blind spots are listening? I always remember one around active listening, particularly it's like you've got to turn off all your distractions around you because I think we're so used to having like technology and we're kind of listening or the idea of listening to respond. I remember coming across as well. So like when you're listening to people, you're really only really listening to see what you can say back to it rather than really listening to what they're saying. So like, how do people start picking up on that and kind of noticing if that's what they're doing or what are the blind spots they might have? Yeah. For people interested in leadership, one of the habits many people fall into is like a kind of a listening for compliance. In other words, they're listening to is somebody right or wrong. And of course, right or wrong is sometimes agreed upon in an organisation and often not agreed upon. So if your view of the world is what's right and you're listening as to whether or not someone fits that, they're probably not going to because they're different to you. If you're interested in leadership, then you'll be listening for where there is likely to be action, where things are likely to happen as a result of what you've said or what someone else has said. And if you can't see the path, then what you're listening for is how do you help people find a journey forwards? And that very much is a Rubik's Cube and it's very much an embodied skill. But one of the key things that leaders do, effective leaders, is they learn to listen for commitment. And commitment is indicative of whether or not someone will do something. So we all know that just because somebody says, oh, yeah, no problem, <laughs> that doesn't have any indication as to whether or not they'll do it. If someone said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, um, oh, it should be okay, I would be listening, no commitment. And so the challenge there is not to force commitment. You can't get anyone to do anything, but to listen to what's important to that person so that we can have a conversation where they can say yes in a way that I'm convinced that they'll do it. I think that's brilliant. Okay, so conversation currency. What else do we need to know? What haven't we talked about that people can really take away and do something about? Let's talk a bit about the background music of the conversation. So when we talk about the emotional context, this is a blind spot for many people. And I hate to say this, but guys, this is a blind spot for you. Because if you've been raised in a Western culture, then you were told that uh, if you have an emotion, you shouldn't really feel it. And uh, if you do, don't worry, it will soon go away. Women are way more tuned into the background music of the conversation than men are. So they have a very natural advantage, at least in the West. But the emotional context is the background music. And we can hear the background music and we can feel it. If we walk into a room and we just pause for a moment, is this movie a happy movie? <laughs> you know, I'm using a metaphor here. You know, is this conversation one where people are annoyed? Is this conversation where people have hope? And what that does is it sets the tone for the conversation. I've done a lot of work in innovation and helping people think differently. And if ever I walk into a, a group where there is a sense of, oh, what's the point? We've done this before. That's the first thing to pay attention to in the conversation. Because what that tells me is the group doesn't believe that anything will change as a result of what we're about to do. And that's a context for the conversation. So Part of this skill, part of this conversational skill is learning to read not only the content, but also the context and working within that. If people are in a, in a terrible mood, there's no point in being the energizer bunny and say, oh, let's, you know, let's all be happy. That's not going to land. So your listeners who are new to the leadership would do well to match, to feel into what's going on, and then to be curious around how does a mood shift? Because moods shift all the time. For some organizations, they'll be part of the standard background music. And every day, you may sense that the same song is playing in the background. And yet, 
within a meeting, within a conversation, there are moods and they shift. And just paying attention to that is a good starting point for people to learn more. I love that. I love the context and content point, but um, on the positivity, I can't remember where I heard it the other day, but the idea of toxic positivity and that you always go into exactly as you're saying, that energizes the bunny. So it doesn't matter what's happening on the other side of you. You're like, this is great. We've got this. This is brilliant. And that can just be so damaging. But nobody ever thinks about positivity as being toxic, right? But you're right. It's all about that content and context. And is it the right time to be pushing that message and taking people on that kind of journey with you rather than just going, nope, this is where I'm at. That's it. So yeah, I think that one's great. For listeners who heard the previous podcast where we talked about stories, if you re-listen that podcast now where we gave the example of the two stories, one of them was a not particularly effective story and one of them was a very powerful and compelling story, you could listen to those purely through the lens of the mood or the emotions that they produce. And, and one of them, the mood of the first story was very much being defeated, was feeling defeated, right? Feeling kind of probably overwhelmed and somewhat resigned to the way that things were. And the, the message of the second story was one of hope. It wasn't this kind of blind positivity. It was something which both accepted where we were and then moved towards the future. And for people who are working with moods which are closed, which are heavy, which are negative, the first place to start it really is acceptance. If we can't accept where we are, it's very hard to move um, somewhere into the future. And we know this. We know this instinctively. If your partner comes home and something's happened and they're upset, we don't want to ignore that. We want to work with that. We want, we want to lean into it and ask them how they are and understand where it came from. And as soon as we do that, of course, then something starts to shift, right? Because we've accepted it. So then it can move on. That's a great example. So then maybe if we go back to the original point about leaders and conversations currency, how do we sum up conversations for leaders? Like what's the takeaway there? Mm. Let's come back to this claim that leadership is a conversational activity. And let's maybe paint a bit more of a picture. With that team we talked about, that poor underperforming team, many people that I see working with underperforming teams use all sorts of tools that are available. And there are some fantastic tools now. So some of them might use um, like a mindfulness approach where they're concentrating on the awareness of each individual or some others might say do emotional intelligence Profiles, you know, understand where the whole group's at. Um, some people might use you know, personality tests, Myers-Briggs, DISC, whatever. And all of these things are ways which we can somehow gain a new perspective. But none of those tools in themselves create the shift, and particularly if we see them from the technical viewpoint, because the technical viewpoint says all we need to do is measure the thing and then we can change it. So what would the shift look like for the team where the relationships are inconsistent uh, where there's a lack of trust where the emotion is one of resignation and where the interactions are missing what would the shift for that team look like it would look like that team having different conversations so for example for the team to no longer be suspicious of one another but to accept what every member of that team brings would be a shift in conversation which this we're so blind to this that we don't talk about it but if we saw that team now having conversations where they built on one of the strengths, we would say, that's a shift. The team's got better. Often there's a misconception that goes around the team is somehow like this skill set mix isn't quite right or the personality mix isn't quite right. And based on the research on teams and leadership, that's a myth. It really is a myth. So personality is not a good indicator of whether or not a team will, will get on well. And John Katzenbach did a lot of research around that. 
But what does shift a team is these new conversations. And who would we just describe as a leader? We would describe a leader as someone who's capable of walking into that team that is not performing very well and generating the new conversations that need to happen so that there's a positive mood, so that there are effective interactions, so that people trust one another. So I hope that's helping to build out this picture, this strange claim, really, that leadership is all about conversations. I love it. I don't think it's a strange claim. I think it's just, it goes back to exactly what we started with saying. It's that underrated skill, right? But also just that there's so many different types of conversation and we just can't underestimate it. But yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for today. So next week is high-performing teams. Fantastic. Yeah, that's probably a segue. And we've talked about teams throughout these podcasts. So next week, we'll, we'll unpack a bit more about what a high-performing team is. First of all, how do we define that? It's another vague term. And also, how do we work with a team to improve its performance? Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week. Bye. Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out striving.io for career development tools and mentorships to guide you through. Striving and thriving. 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 Striving and thriving.